Good morning, Baylife. How are we doing? It is great to see you. If you're new, they're not clapping for me. Every time I put a rose on the stage, it means someone else put their faith in Jesus for the first time this past week. So yay, God. Another person made that decision. We're thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Genesis chapter 3 as we continue this series, series that we started a few weeks ago called Wired. In a second, I'm going to pray for our offering and for our sermon, but before I do that, let me just talk a little bit about where we've been. We started, uh, first of all, by looking at creation as theists, as, as God believers. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and that when he did so, he created things to work a certain way. And when we use things as God intended them to be used, we use them according to his design. They work best. When we use them outside of God's design, they're probably not going to work. And there is a very great potential that things used outside of their design, in general, but specifically in the way that God has made things, uh, it's going to bring about, well, some destruction of some kind. It says in Proverbs 16 that there's a way that seems right to a man, but this way leads to destruction. When we get outside of God's design for ourselves and instead settle for our design for things, things can go wrong. We're trying to talk about this design specifically in terms of uh, how it affects us as men and women. We live in a world where the uh, lines are being erased in some good ways. Uh, they're being erased between men and women, but in some very harmful ways. We're losing what it is to be masculine and feminine, what it is to be male and female, especially according to God's design. So while we're all unique, and it's not a one-size-fit-all model at all, it's not, you know, you're a man if you, you know, can bench 300 and fix, you know, your engine with one arm tied behind your back. That's not our definitions for manhood. We'll talk about our definitions for womanhood in a few weeks, but... Uh, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to the baseline of what it is to be man and woman according to God's design and then live it. So last week I started with you fellas and I talked to you about the fact that God foundationally has built into us uh, this, these, these three things. We're, we're meant to work. God put Adam in the garden and he said, work. Go to work. Make it happen. Produce. Men and women, of course, I'm not excluding women I talk about these things, but as I'm talking specifically to men today, Men have been designed by God to work. Uh, where, a, where a society is full of lazy men, society fails. Uh, where a society is full of absent men, uh, society ultimately has problems. Now, by the grace of God, ladies, I talked to you about this. If you don't have a man in your life, you're raising children on your own, perhaps your husband has gone uh, on to be with the Lord without you, you know, before you, uh, God's grace is sufficient in those uh, areas of life to fulfill and, and to provide in the, in the absence of someone like that. You don't need a man for fulfillment in life, but God created things a certain way, and where men flourish and live as God designs, things flourish as well. So men are supposed to work. Men are supposed to keep. God said when he put Adam in the garden, work it. Keep it. Keep it up. We, are, we, we, we understood in our, our headship, it's another thing the Bible says about men that we have been given headship. Kephale is the Greek word. In our headship, we're not meant to be the dominators of existence, the dominators of all that God has created. We're meant to be the facilitators. We're the source of everything working as God intends it to work. Ladies, you play your role in that, but men have been given that specific, unique design that, that we're the facilitators of things working out as God intends. And then finally, we learned last week that we're supposed to submit, fellas. God said right after he gave these two missions, to work and to keep, he says, hey guys, he said to the man, no woman yet, no woman created yet. In chapter 2, verse 16 of, of Genesis, he says, fellas, 
or fella, there's only one. He says, buddy, there's some trees out here. You can partake of any of them, okay, except this one. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that, you surely shall what? Die. It's an ender. Uh, roll credits. Everybody leave the theater. This thing's over. If you eat of that thing, we're done. And so God, before, before there's woman, before there's children, before there's anything else, there's God, man, and the rest of creation, and God sets out some rules. And his intent for us as men were to be rule followers, to be submissive to him and his standards for life. When we do that, things flourish. When we don't, things start to break down. Another way to put this, kind of as we're, as we're walking through this series, another way to put this is kind of like this. When things don't work, something's usually wrong with the wiring. Isn't that true? Let's go bubble back up to just life situations. I was a 21-year-old, 22-year-old homeowner. I bought my first house. It was a 1945, uh, uh, you know, just solid built uh, house in, in central Illinois, lived in the Peoria, Illinois area, paid 45 grand for my house. Those days are gone, right? Uh, but I was so excited to have this house, and, uh, and I was so excited to start learning stuff. Uh, I started working on things, you know, redid some floors and different things like that, but I had this water softener. It was one of the selling points of the house. It has a water softener. Awesome, cool, and it, but I could never make the water softener work. It's so... <laughs> I would do everything that I could in my limited knowledge set to get something fixed, and then I'd call someone who knew more than me. So this guy's name was actually Stan, and he was at church last night. It was so funny. He was, he was here visiting, uh, came to church, and uh, had dinner with Eleanor and I, and Stan's probably you know, close to my parents' age, and so he was kind of my go-to when it came to stuff that was above my head and fixing up my house. So I'm a man. I tried everything I could. I get Stan over there, and I do what all of us do, guys. I start explaining. Like, anybody ever gone to the garage, and you're talking to a mechanic who actually knows what he's doing, and you say, well, listen, man, the Dimiflitchie was starting to rub against the who's a what's it, and you're trying to, like, you know, sound like you know something? Well, that's what I'm doing with Stan. Well, here's what I did, Stan. I switched out all the salt, and I, you know, made sure that the water pipes were working and functioning on this thing. Stan's not even listening to me. Anybody ever have someone try to help you or come over to help you, and they're not even listening to all your, like, explanation of how you blew it? And so he just reaches over, and he bends down and he starts feeling around the base of my water softener and pretty soon he comes up with a cord and he just starts walking this cord to wherever it is and around the side of this closet that my water softener is in is a hidden uh, receptacle, a hidden plug and laying over the top of the plug is the cord that runs my water softener and Stan takes the cord and he plugs it into the wall and says, I'll see you later. Because he's a jerk like that. Now, we laughed. We laughed about it last night. Uh, I was trying really hard, but all I needed to do was what? Plug it in. Why? Because if it's not wired right, it's not plugged into the source. If there's a break in the circuit, this is just basic electricity. If there's a break in the circuit, that thing can't be completed and things aren't going to work. Fellas, here's the deal. In our manhood, far too often, because of sin, we have had breaks in our circuit. You and I have blown it as men. We're like Adam. We're going to read about him this morning in, in Genesis chapter 3. But we have, we have these blind spots, these areas where we come unconnected with the grace of God and his plan for our lives. And when that happens, if you haven't been picking up what I've been putting down, when we function outside of God's design, things don't work. Your marriages won't work, fellas. The parenting of your children won't work. Your relationships outside of your home will be deficient. Your character will be in jeopardy. 
Got to stay plugged in. Got to make sure that we're making uh, the wire connect where it's supposed to connect in our relationship with God and with those that he's entrusted us uh, with. So here's the deal. Uh, The sermons come out differently the three times I've preached it, so we'll see how it goes this time. But here's my hope as we walk through this. First of all, ladies, listen. Listen so that you can be an encourager and and an expector of these things in the men in your life. If you're a wife, be an encourager of these traits in your men. If you're not yet a wife but you desire to be one someday, be an expector of these things in the men that you date. Uh, as you're raising your children, ladies, if you've got a man in that, that house and he's your boy, these are the things you hold out for him as the standards for his life. Fellas, as you listen, here's my hope. My hope is that every one of us will pop the hood and check the wiring in our own lives. Make sure that everything's connected the way it's supposed to be. David, when he messed up with Bathsheba, he quoted in Psalm 51, he says to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. He goes on later and he says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Reconnect me, God, with your intentions for my life. I've blown it, but I want to get back. That's what this morning's about. Fellas, every one of us blows it. Every one of us makes a mess every once in a while. Anybody agree? Okay, if that's you, then today's your day to slow down long enough so that you can think hard enough and repent well enough so that God leads you in the direction he wants you to go, wired as the man he meant you to be. Can I pray for our offering? I I almost forgot that. We're going to take our offering now. Uh, Can I pray for our offering in this sermon? Let's do that. God, thanks so much for this chance to talk. Uh, Lord, we want to open your word, and as as all of us, men and women, we want to learn from you, but especially as men this morning, we want to receive from you uh, this this, this, this sight maybe that we haven't had, this ability to understand and, and, and know where we're disconnected with you. And then, and then, God, would you give us the strength and the courage to deal with those disconnections so that we can be wired the way you want us to so that the world around us can flourish, our, our marriages, our families, uh, everything that we come in contact with. If we're, if, we're, if we're set up with you, if we're connected with you the way we're meant to, God, those things have the opportunity to flourish. So lead us now. Lead this man Uh, into the things that I need to change and get this man, me, God, out of the way so that we can hear you. Bless this offering, use it for your glory and it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Everybody said, amen. A couple questions we want to answer today. The first one is this. How can a man know when he is outside of God's wiring? How do I know when I'm disconnected from the plan that God has for my life as a man? Well, we're going to go through four of them. Everybody ready? Here's the first one. You can know you're outside of God's wiring if you're a man and you allow things to, that are wrong to occur around you. When a guy allows the wrong, he is outside of God's wiring. Now don't miss this. This is huge. Because there's basically two ways that we can sin. We can sin sins of commission. These are things that we think about and premeditate and we go and choose to do against what God's will is. And then there are sins of omission where we just kind of abdicate We just kind of pull up and we say, you know what, I'm just not going to get involved. We let things go on around us that shouldn't be going on. And this is a violation of our headship. This is a violation of our our created design. We are meant to be the facilitators of God's goodwill happening so that his creation can flourish. When we abdicate that responsibility, things go goofy. Everybody familiar with the 
the creation story and how sin came into the world. It's in Genesis chapter 3. If you aren't familiar with it, the Bible tells us that a woman, Eve, was given to Adam. It was made from her rib or his rib. And so uh, they were together. Uh, they were naked and they had no shame. That's how Genesis chapter 2 ends. And then they're just minding their own business in the garden. They were, it's, it's kind of remarkable. They were close enough to this tree that they weren't supposed to eat of that they could actually reach out and grab its fruit. Uh, there's, there's something there about us keeping our distance from the things that God has said no to. But we'll preach that some other day. Uh, but there they are. They're kind of hanging around this tree. And here comes Satan uh, in the form of a snake. And he says, hey, man, why don't you try some? So that unfolds. And here we go in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what did she do? Had some lunch. She took of its fruit and she ate it. And what did she do then? It says that she gave also some to her husband, who was where? Who was standing right next to her. And what did he do? Thanks, babe. Um, 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 um. If you were here last week, I talked about this just briefly. Uh, but what was the first sin? Everybody thinks it's Eve eating the fruit. No, you know what the first sin was? It was the dude standing next to his girl having been given the command to not eat of that tree and that guy choosing to do nothing. That's the first sin. Everybody hear me on that? Don't lay it at the feet of the woman. The woman should have never had a shot at that thing. As soon as that snake came into the garden, what should that man have done? He should have cut down one of those other trees and beat that snake senseless and sent that snake packing. But what did he do? Pretty simple. Nothing. Edmund Burke, don't know who he is, but he said some cool stuff. Here's one of them. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do, say it with me, nothing. You want evil to win? That's easy. Evil is the default setting in a sinful world. And evil will just happen because we live in a dark and marred world full of sin. The only thing that overcomes sin is action. Action on behalf of good men and women who are not willing to just idly sit by and watch things roll out in this sinful world. Adam didn't do that that day. Stood there within arm's reach of his wife as she partook and then partook with her. But his first sin was not biting the fruit. His first sin was just being like, eh, who cares? You guys adopted that mentality in your life? So beaten down by the, the pressures and the constrictions and all the, you know, all the requirements of your life that when it comes to certain areas of your life, you're just like, ah, who cares? Marriage, ah, who cares? Kids, ah, who cares? She'll take care of it. Is that you? Man, I'm sorry your life's hard, but look at me. If you're working really hard on a bunch of things that don't matter in life and they're keeping you from being successful as a man in the things that do matter in life, something's got to change. If you're busting your, bust, your butt at work so that you can, I don't know, make your boss happy, but then you don't have enough energy to come home and make your wife happy, parent your kids, something's out of whack. It's got to change, fellas. That's not how God made us. You know what the greatest enemy of man is? The couch. Some ladies are like, amen. 
Get his butt off the couch, yes. I'm not talking about your specific couch. You, don't, you shouldn't go home today and burn your couch. I mean, it's probably just a fine couch. But what I'm saying is, is that mentality. I just want to be comfortable. Leave me out of it. I'm just going to be over here watching the game. This is my spot. And I'm going to go to my spot, and I'm going to isolate myself from everything else that matters in my life, and I'm just going to let it happen. And when you, fellas, when you just let stuff happen, it's going to end up in destruction because the default setting on this earth is evil. And it's your role in your world to be the hero of your marriage, your family. Put the S on your chest and jump in there and do something. Because left to itself, it will implode. Eleanor's a great prompter of my manhood. Here's what I mean by that. And she'll she'll kind of like start something in with our kids. They need to be doing better at school. We need to be better at cleaning up this or that. She'll just start talking to our kids. She's a mom. She's involved. She's got more words than me. Fellas, anybody? So she'll start rocking it with one of these kids, and they'll get going, and it'll start escalating. And what's her what's her first move? Her her favorite move. It's like we're a tag team wrestling championship squad, right? And her favorite move is to get in there and kind of soften the guy up. You know, if it's Ben or if it's Cooper, guy soften him up, soften him up. And then, you know, right before she drops a suplex on him, she tags me in. Anybody a wrestler? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> she tags me in. So she'll get things going, get the ball rolling, they'll be in discussion. She'll say, Mark! Like I'll be sitting on the couch watching the game. Mark, are you going to chime in here? And I'm like, what? Because we got one screen, right, fellas? We got the one thing. Whatever we're doing, we're doing it. This is all just kind of Charlie Brown's teacher in the background back here. So she'll say, Mark, you're going you're to help me out here? And most of the time, I'm not perfect in this, neither are you, so let's just admit that. But most of the time, I'll be willing. And I'll say, okay, sure, I'll help. What are we talking about? And she'll fill me in on the conversation. And then I will give my two cents. And here's the deal. Again, if you're a single mom and you don't have this voice in your house, God in his grace will, 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 be, will be suffice in your situation. But if you're, a, if you're a dad and you're raising kids and you don't get this, that your voice is different than your wife's, that, that they respond differently to you or, or that's their design, and you, and you don't lend your voice to the fray, then you're, you're just, you don't understand who God has made you to be as a man. Oh, you know, I'm just a quiet guy. I don't care how quiet you Say it as quiet as you want, but say it. Be involved. I'm not saying you got to be loud and, you know, audacious and throw pots and pans at windows. I'm not saying you got to be crazy with it, but be involved. Because your voice sounds different. Eleanor, and my, especially as my kids got older, they got braver. And so Eleanor would start these things, and the kids would start bucking back. Anybody have those? The tall, the tall children, right? And they start kind of giving what for and how to back, okay? And I, I don't, in those situations, I don't need prompting anymore. If I hear one of my kids talk back to my wife, it is DEFCON 5 in that house. It is on. I don't even have to know what it's about. Usually don't. <laughs> But if I hear disrespect coming out of one of my kids, I'm coming off that couch, and it is going to be clear. There's something about a deep voice. If you got, if, has anybody got that grizzly bear voice? Hey! 
Oh. (laughs) Sorry, honey. Things stop in that house. And I stand out and I say, hey, very clearly, I don't know what you're talking about, but you don't take that tone with my wife. You mess with my girlfriend, we're going, we're going outside, right? And whatever she says goes, I want you in your room, I want you in your room, and it better be done the way she wants, I'll be over here watching the game. Any questions? <laughs> it's different, right? It's different. It's how God designed it. It's how God designed it. You can't, fellas, we can't, we can't give the excuse that I'm tired. I pay the bills. I, I shouldn't be required to do this. When it comes to our marriages, babe, come on. You got everything you could ever need. Has anybody ever met a wife who has everything materially that she ever needs, but she's still dying inside because she doesn't have the one thing that she desires from her man, which is that intimacy, that cherishing, that they're designed to get from us fellas? that we so often refuse to give to them because we're like, hey, settle for this. I've done enough. I'll be on the couch. It's outside of God's wiring. You are outside of God's wiring, dudes. You and me both. If when it comes to seeing the right, you just say, I don't care. Can't happen. Run a check. Is there anything you're just kind of letting go in life. If you let stuff go in life, it's going to end up dead. It's going to end up evil. It's going to end up wrong. It's the default setting of the world that we live in. Be a hero. In your marriage and in your family, be a hero. All right. Second thing. How can you know when you're outside of God's wiring? A guy can know it uh, that he's outside of God's wiring when he hides in shame. This is probably a surprise to some of us. We don't think we're going to talk about this. Guys, especially, we don't talk, we don't, we don't like talking about our feelings. I, I go to a life group every Thursday morning and have for the last nine years here at our church. And uh, I know all of my men and, and love them and, and appreciate them, but we don't have like touchy-feely times at Cracker Barrel on Thursday mornings. Here's, how, here's our share time. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good. All right, let's move on. And then that's our share time right there. We should probably work on that, but this, this is most of the time, fellas, that's how we want to keep it, right? It's not like we come in, you know, it'd be weird if one of us came into Cracker Barrel, oh, I want to share my heart. It's just not what we do, right? (laughs) It's not how we start. (laughs) But I want you to understand, it is very masculine. It It is God ordained, designed male for you and I to deal with our sin in an authentic and honest and and effective way. And that is going to involve us every once in a while, in a while, man, going to layers of us that we just aren't super comfortable with. Because here's what happens. A lot of times, we get uh, uh, you know, in, in situations in life that we're not proud of, and then because we leave those things, because you know, we're Spartans, we're just not going to deal with our emotions and the things that have happened in our past, because we leave those things untouched, undealt with, those things hold us back in God's design for us as husbands and as fathers and his workers, and his sons, and his friends. We're, 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 we're handcuffed by guilt and by shame. Look what happened in, in the life of Adam. Here, here's what happened in the life of Adam. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. What happens, verse 7, both of their eyes were opened. Innocence is lost. When sin comes in, innocence is gone. Both of our eyes were opened, and both of them knew that they were naked. Just like eight verses ago, they were naked, and they felt no shame. It took eight verses for them to be like, oh, you're naked, shame. 
So they sewed some fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. The first bathing suit line was created. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord, uh, the Lord their God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Okay, can you hide from God? Okay, just, just so you know, in our folly and fallenness, a lot of times we as humans try stuff that just doesn't work. Especially us men, hey man, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Whatever my hurts and pains are, it's not gonna affect me. I'll just fake like it isn't there. Is it there? If it's undealt with, it stays. So these guys lied to themselves and said we can hide from God. God comes into the garden, verse nine, is what it says. The Lord called to the who? Hang on. Who is hiding? The man and the, who's God calling? Isn't that interesting? Who was responsible in this situation? Well, both of them, but primary? It's us, fellas. We're gonna be held accountable for our marriages, for our families. When God comes looking for whoever made the mess, he comes to both of us, but he starts with the man. God called out to the man and he said to him, hey, where you at, bro? It's in the Hebrew. <laughs> and he said, oh, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden, which had never been a bad thing. Every time God had showed up in the garden, it was cause for celebration. The Father is here. But now that sin has come into the world, well, it was a cause for hiding. He says, I heard you coming into the garden. I was afraid. Well, that's never happened before. Fear was not a part of the creation that God had made. He was afraid. And here's what I think happened. Adam was about to confess. I was afraid because I ate of the fruit. But he catches himself. Sin multiplies, doesn't it? So he's sinned the first time, and his second sin was try to hide from God. Failure, right? His third sin is gonna be to try to distract God from the actual reason that he was hiding. Why was he hiding? I ate the fruit. What was the reason he gave? Uh, I was naked. Didn't want you to see me naked, creator of me. So I hid. Anybody in here hiding? Anybody in here hiding because uh, you know that you're outside of God's wiring in some way? Can't kick that porn habit, fellas? Are you hiding it? Hiding the fact that you did something early on in life that you've never told anybody about and you're just trying to keep it down, keep it down. But every time someone preaches a sermon like this, it just comes flooding back, it fills the screen, it keeps rolling back over and over again in slow motion in your head. You know what's happening when that happens? That's, that's our adversary taking sin and compounding it. Here's what, here's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to sin, and then he wants you to beat you over the head with it for the rest of your life. You blew it. Don't forget, you blew it. You were 23, you were in that one place you shouldn't have been with, that one person you shouldn't have been with, and you blew it. Don't forget. Have you forgotten? Let me remind you. Roll tape. And that, that visual, that, that instance of your sin coming up over and over again, that's guilt. And you know, what, you know what that translates to? 
guilt uh, meditated on and not dealt with becomes the condition called shame. And people live in shame because of their guilt. Guilt is the thing you did. Shame is the, is the overall persona, the, the condition that you adopt as a result of your undealt with guilt. Guilt is this perversion of what God has given us in our spiritual lives called conviction. Okay? Even if you're not a Christian, you can believe this. People know what's right and wrong, right? People have a sense of what's moral and what's immoral. We shouldn't kill each other. That's pretty much pan-human. Everybody gets that one, Christian or not. And so when we go against these things that are innate, these, these God, image of God things inside of us, we know that we're wrong. And even if you're not a Christian, when you know that you're wrong, your conscience is really the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you're outside of God's design. Conviction's this great thing. It's like the nerve endings on your hand. When you put your hand on something that's really hot, like a stove burner or something like that, your nerve endings quickly send a message to your head saying, you are on fire, right? And move your hand. Well, that's what spiritually conviction is. Conviction is, hey, get out of there. That's wrong. On the front side, before you sin, it's what keeps you from sinning, you know, helps you confront temptation. But on the back side of sin, when you've blown it, it's what says to you, hey, that was wrong. Let's not do that again. Because that's going to bring the death that sin breeds into your life. So conviction, properly heard and properly dealt with, leads us to repentance, which uh, gives us God's forgiveness and makes us new and sets us on a path where we can honor him and learn from our mistakes, which is the only thing mistakes are good for. Are you with me? But what, what does the Satan want to do with this God-given grace that is conviction from the Holy Spirit? He wants to make it guilt. He wants to make it shame. He wants to keep playing that over and over and over again so that eventually you and I, fellas, we become blinded by our guilt, and we become, yeah, this is hard, hard to do, I can't see a thing, we become deafened to the grace of God because of our shame. And, and this looks r- ridiculous, I know, but spiritually speaking, this is the condition of too many men in this room. Or because you just haven't gone to God and received his forgiveness because Satan keeps playing it over and over again that you're a failure because you've convinced yourself that I am shameful, then the grace of God is, has no effect in your life. But the Bible teaches very clearly that God loved us. Even while we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love for us in that Christ came and died. Why, we're still the the hot messes that we are. And he did all this so that you and I could be free from our guilt, that we could be lifted from our shame, that we could walk as new creations in this life that God has given us. And some of you, men, you've never gotten there yet. Oh, you've found faith in Jesus, but you've never been truly free. Here's the deal. I pray today is your emancipation day. That God, by his grace, confronts you with this stuff that you've never dealt with, that you get with someone, a pastor, your, your, your spouse, a, a confidant, a friend. You confess those things to yourself, to someone else. You confess those things to God. You're freed of those things, and those things no longer hinder you in your manhood. That you become the man God wants you to be. How can we know when we're outside of God's wiring? A man allows things 
that are wrong to happen around him. A man uh, hides in his shame. Thirdly, a man who is outside of God's wiring pins the blame on other people for his own wrongdoings. Let's see Adam in action again, shall we? Genesis chapter 3. Why were you hiding, Adam? Oh, because I was naked. Well, who told you, God says, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Don't remember putting that one in the instruction book. Then he goes completely black and white. This is a yes or no question. Yes or no? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, raise your hands. Anybody think that God didn't know already that Adam had eaten of of the tree? Anybody think that he's actually like, you know, a reporter? You know, here I am, God the Father on the scene, trying to figure out what's going on here, you know, news at 11. Is that that what he's doing? No, he knows what's going on, but he's doing like any one of us as a parent will do with our kids. You know, the kids are all lined up. Uh, This is how it used to be with my my sisters and I. It'd be youngest sister, Mark, older sister. I'd have all, like my whole face would be covered with chocolate. And we'd all be standing there, and Mom would line us all up. and says, all right, someone ate all the cookies before dinner. Does anybody know who ate all the cookies before dinner? Both of my sisters would turn their entire bodies and just kind of fold their arms and look at me. And I would stand there, chocolate on my face, thinking there's got to be a way out of this. <laughs> there's got to be. Got to be a way out of this. You did it. I did it. We still do it. Adam did it. God comes to Adam. He says, hey, man, did you eat of the fruit? Yes or no question. What did he say? Well, let me qualify this. The man said to him, the woman, (laughs) I got a couple of these, let me point. The woman that you you gave to me, uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree and... Eventually, he gets to the answer, yes, I ate it. Everybody see the point that he just did there? Her fault. If it's not her fault, it's your fault. And I'm just going to sit over here, and I'm going to try to recover from this horrible thing that has happened to me. (laughs) Because of all these things that you did and she did. Sounds like Americans, right? (laughs) Uh, Fellas, men made in God's image, are not excuse makers. Now here's the deal, I'm not saying that there hasn't been real things in your life that have gone into shaping you into being who you are now. I'm not saying that, the, uh, like, like I didn't grow up with a father, I love my dad, uh, he's a, he was a great man, but we didn't have a great relationship. I didn't learn a lot from him about being a dad, about being a husband, I, did, I just didn't. And so I used to give that excuse to Eleanor early in our marriage, hey man, I just didn't grow up with this. You're just gonna have to learn to settle for less was basically what I was saying to her. Because my excuse is is that I just didn't, you know, I don't know how to do this. Oh. Pointing the finger. It's my dad's fault. If you were just a better wife, didn't say that out loud very often. (laughs) But I point the finger at her. All I was doing was just taking these guilt goggles and saying, hey, would you wear these? It's your fault. It's your fault. Can't be me. You've got to be the one who's guilty for my sin. Uh, make no mistake. If you sin, you did it. Everybody hear that? 
No one made you. You and I are wretched. We are prone to wander. And if we do, it doesn't matter if we got a ton of temptation or none. It doesn't matter if we talked ourselves into it or everybody else pressured us. When we sin, it's our choice and it's ours to bear. And the quicker, fellas, that we get to that, that understanding, and we quit pointing the fingers, the quicker we confess, the quicker we can get right, and the sooner we can get plugged back into God's wiring. But if you're sitting here all day long and saying, it's her fault, it's my dad's fault, it's the fact that I didn't have a dad's fault, hey, I can't say that out loud at church. Hey, uh, there are, there, there, we just got to get over that. We got to get over that. We have this obsession, especially since sin has made us so self-centered, we have this obsession with, with maintaining our image, even to ourselves. Like, think about it. Anybody taking a selfie on themselves lately? Let me take a selfie. This will be fun. Everybody smile. Let me, oh, wait, I got it the wrong way. Because these cameras, you've got cameras on either side now, right? You know that, right? Let me just make sure. Can anybody? Oh, there we are. Can we see? There I am. I don't know if you can see me. Hang on. Everybody smile. Say church. Awesome. I'll, I'll post it on Facebook. You know, it'll be fun. <laughs> Anybody taking a selfie lately? What kind of selfies do you take? Do you, do, you, do you take a selfie right as you get up in the morning? Hair's pointing this way, right? You got stuff in your teeth. Oh, this will be awesome. This will be my, this will be my Facebook profile picture. <laughs> Is that what you do? No. If you, man, how many of you have like gone through like 50, 60 pictures just to find the very best picture of yourself to put as your profile? Come on, admit it. Admit it, you vain humans. That's what we do, right? There I am. I look awesome there. Some of you actually get dressed up for your profile pictures. And this is what you do. You've even learned all the angles. If I take a selfie like this, you'll see my triple chins. But if I do this, those disappear. What's up? Looking good, Mark, right? Why do we do that? Because we are self-obsessed. We want everybody, to, we want everybody including ourselves, to see our best. So here it is, when we're at our best, selfies, what's up, looking good. When we're at our worst, flip the camera. Oh, it's their fault. Oh, it's, oh, it's you, you did it, Ernie, it's your fault. Greg, you did, uh, oh, yeah, because I, I couldn't have been me. I think much too highly of me. Here's what God wants us to do, spiritually speaking. Flip the camera. Take a good look at yourself in the mirror, fellas. You blaming everybody else for your failures? By God's grace, may that end today. And may you move into the manhood that God has always designed for you, and you've never been maybe even aware that you weren't in yet because you kept pointing fingers at everybody else for why you are the way you are. Move past it. Man up in the spiritual, godly, literal sense. Real men don't point fingers. Finally, you want to know how you know you're outside of God's wiring? A man knows he's outside of God's wiring when he acts like he's God himself. Talked about this briefly last week, but let me just hit this one more time. Those first three that I just shared with you, they're kind of more passive elements of our manhood. We just kind of let it happen. Point the finger, hide in shame, woe is me. Uh, just kind of let things go. Those are all passive elements of our manhood. But we have this... Uh, this aggressive side of our nature, don't we guys? Maybe not with every relationship, but, but oftentimes it's usually with the people who are closest to us that we are the biggest jerk. Anybody notice that, fellas? You'll be kind to a perfectly good stranger unless they cut you off in traffic, that's different. But, 
But with most strangers, you'll be kind. But when it comes to the people in your home, you can just, we can be so harsh. That's why so many of the commands for men in the scriptures are against being harsh. You know what the, the Bible says in Galatians about how uh, men are supposed to treat their children? Don't bring your children to anger. Read. Don't be a jerk to your kids. What did Jesus say to his disciples when they were trying to figure out who was going to be first, you know, sit at his right hand? Hey, man, don't be like the other leaders who lorded over those who follow him or follow them. That's not how we, we're servants first as leaders. Don't be a jerk to your wife. Don't make her your slave. Honor her, cherish her. Your mission in life, as her head in, in life, is to, is to value her and to esteem her so that she becomes everything God designed her to be, guys. We're bullies in lots of ways. Sometimes we're bullies physically. That is completely out of bounds. One in three women some statistics say, uh, experience some kind of physical abuse from their men in life. That's pretty high. Uh, there is a far greater instance of men being verbally or emotionally abusive. They're hypercritical. They're constant complainers. You know one of the abuses that men uh, are, are aggressive in using in their relationships with those who are put in their care? They'll withhold themselves. Like, I'm not just talking about being, like, too tired to do anything sitting on the couch. They will intentionally withhold themselves from their relationships that God has given them. Physically, not be attentive to their wives and esteem them in that way. Refuse to go to kids' things. Now, that, that's, how, that's how we, and listen, can we all admit that aggression in any form, whether it's overt and physical or vert verbally or kind of hidden in, in, our, in our withholding of ourselves, it's all it's all behind this curtain that is, I'm going to control the world that I, I'm God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unleash my wrath. I'm going to decide who gets what around here. I'm, I'm the man at the controls. I hold the joystick of every relationship in my life. And if that's you, listen, you're not a man when you're doing that. And that's one of the misnomers that, uh, you know, I think films and culture have given us. A man's man is this hard, tough man who comes in, you know, likes uh, uh, chewing gum and kicking butt, and he's all out of gum. And so, you know, he's, he's just going to come in, he's going to regulate, and he's going to be a beast of a man, and that's what a man's man is. No, that's what a bully is. And if that's who you are, you're not a man, you're a bully. Women can be bullies, and men can be bullies. But being a bully as a man doesn't make you a man. I find it really interesting that if you keep reading in Genesis, the next sin that happens, a brother kills his brother. You think, you know, the pituitary gland got a little overdone there and the testosterone kicked in? Why, why did Cain kill Abel? Did Abel do anything to Cain that deserved death? Absolutely not. So Cain pointed the finger, blame, went into a rage, God came to him, confronted him, said, hey, sin is crouching at your door. Stop it before it turns to death. But Cain didn't listen, and he offed his own brother. Four chapters in, and people are already killing people. Does that sound like our human history? Everybody knows that, that every, uh, every uh, you know, perversion of goodness, every atrocity in human culture has been brought usually by men who are overly aggressive and refuse to deal with that aggression and refuse to set, uh, set themselves up in the wiring that God has for them. I mean, read your history books. 
Wars are started because somebody got their feelings hurt and they went and killed another dude. Are you with me on this? So is it appropriate for us to go over the top of this stuff? No, it's not. God wants us to identify these things. Are we passively just letting things go? Or are we emotionally not dealing with things that have happened in our past? Are we pointing the finger at everybody else, saying it's their fault for the jerk that I am? Or are we just saying, I don't care that I'm a jerk. I'm good at it. And are we crushing everybody around us in the meantime? Guys, if that's you, hey, I've had to look in the mirror and see those things, all of those things at different times in my life. I anticipate, unfortunately, <laughs> that I'm going to do those again. But here's the difference between uh, those of us who fail, all of us as men who fail in those areas, and those of us who get past and get better at those areas. The difference is this. Those of us who improve as men and become more like God wants us to, we figure out that we've got to confess this stuff to our Lord. We've got to bring this to a God who will forgive us of these sins. What's it say in 1 John 1, 9? Confess your sins. And when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of your sins. And he won't stop there. He'll cleanse you from unrighteousness. He'll make you new again so that you can go forward in your relationship with your wives and your kids and everybody else in your life that is under your care. And you can live the way that God wants you to. That's the great thing about our God. He is merciful and gracious. His mercies are new every morning. And if we come to him, he forgives us, he cleanses us, he moves us back into his wiring so that we can honor him the way we were meant to. That's my prayer for all you dudes this morning. That every one of us in here would say, hey God, I am broken. I am undone. Make me the man you want me to be. Starts with him. You know what has to happen today? Some of you got to go to the people that you've been an unwired man with. I'm talking wives. I'm talking kids. I'm talking some of you got to go to work tomorrow and because you haven't been living integrity with integrity in front of your coworkers or in front of your employees, you got to set that one straight because that's a disconnection in your wiring with God. you got to square that stuff up. You start with God, confess it to him, let him cleanse you from all your unrighteousness, but then move from that confession to making things right in the relationships that you have in your life. You know, the third thing is that most of us need, we need someone to help us. We need a Stan. Remember Stan? He's the guy who plugged in my water softener. Spiritually speaking, everybody in here needs a Stan. Everybody needs another man in their life that you could go, hey, that's what it looks like. That's how I'm supposed to function. That's why we talk about relationships, community, life groups. You're going to find in those relationships here in our church the people you can be like, oh, that's the template. I didn't have a father who taught me that. This is where I can learn it. I mean, that's how we learn, fellas, right? You don't know how to fix your car? Invite your buddy who's the mechanic over. Pop the hood. Watch him do it. Share it with him doing it. And then you can do it yourself, right? That's how we learn. Find someone you can learn from. But here's what's got to stop. We can't just go on doing the same things that we always done and expect anything to change. Things got to change. So here's what we've done. I've gotten everybody, all the men in this room, their own man card. Everyone in here, if you're a male, you can take one of these home. It's your reminder. Anybody ever been told, give me your man card? Okay, this is your actual man card. You can take this with you. You can keep this in your wallet. But it's not a man card that's all about how much you can bench or what you can fix or not fix or what, you know, to what degree you're willing to get dirty. This is a man card about how you were truly designed to be a man. On the back of your man card, it says this. I was wired to work hard. 
I was wired to keep things running as God intends. I was wired to submit to God in everything always. That's what we talked about last week. And it's going to give you a prayer, a prayer that you can pray for yourself and for every man that's in this room. Every day that you wake up, my prayer is to never be passively selfish. Those are the first three things we talked about. My prayer is never to be aggressively selfish. That's the last thing we talked about. And my prayer is that Jesus would make me the man I am meant to be. Seriously, put this in your wallets. Every time you grab the card to pay for gas or your meal, let's run your eyes over that prayer. Pray it. Ask God to lead you in this. Let's be the men that God made us to be. Everybody, men, let's man up. Be the men that God desires us to be. <clears throat> you can grab one of these. You can grab one of these on the way out and take it with you. You can uh, go onto our website. You can download, download this off our website or our Facebook page. You can actually, I'd love for you to make it like the picture that's, you know, your, your screensaver on your phone. It'd be a great way for you to just kind of start conversations. That's it. I got a man card. Share it with your buddies at work or something like that. But, uh, but use this as a reminder. And let me pray for us all as we go. Can we everybody stand up? Here's what I'm going to have you do. It's a little different this morning. Everybody stand up. And if you're, uh, if you're a woman or a young child uh, and, and you're here with your, your dad or your husband or your boyfriend or your, you know, whoever this man is to you, just put your hands on that guy for me. I know you're like, oh, this is weird. But uh, throughout the history of the church, there's been a laying on of hands. There's nothing super powerful in your, in your phalanges that's going to make any difference, but it's just a, a sign of us physically of what we're praying spiritually. So everybody just put your hands on the man that's your man, and we're going to pray together for the men of our church. Can we do that? Let's pray together for these guys that God will make them who God wants them to be. Lord, uh, we stand here as a, as a body, as a, as a group of believers, or almost believers, not quite yet believers, but we're in, on the way, and we understand that you created things, you designed things to work a certain way, including us. And so as men, we've been talking about men the last couple weeks, and we just one more time, God, at this time in our, in our history together, we want to just commit to you, the men of this church, this pastor, all these guys in, this, in these rows, we have our hands on them as symbols of our agreement with this prayer. We want them to be wired up the way you meant them to be wired up. So Lord, help them uh, to, to fix the, the disconnections, to to, 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 to reestablish their, 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 their design as, as you intended them to be and to lead them, God, to be men who are actively pursuing your plan in their lives and in the lives of people around them. Help them not to sit on the couch and let things go. Help them to be men who deal with their shame. Help them to be men who uh, refuse to point fingers and who man up and, and fess up and deal with the sins of their lives. Help them to be men, God, who refuse to be bullies. Make them servants of their wives and their children, of their co-workers. Uh, lead us, God, to your character. Make us over in your image. Connect us with you. We pray this for the men of our church, knowing that we're men. Act as God requires them to, as God made them to. The rest of creation flourish. It flourishes, God. So grant us that, we pray, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. amen. If you're new, I'd love to say hi to you, or if you need some prayer, come and get it. Otherwise, have a great week, we'll talk to you next time. Calling on.